Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? My name is Paul. I'm our student pastor, so typically at this hour, um, I'm upstairs with your middle school and high school students. Um, But this morning, thank you for being here for our family service. We're excited that you're here. I have a question I want everybody to reflect on before we jump into the, the passage this morning. Have you ever had an authority in your life that you're kind of scared of? So, so kids, think about like a parent or teacher or parents think back um, when you were scared of your parents at times. Um, an authority that you're scared of. I, I was thinking about that for myself. So when I was in college, I waited tables at Rainforest Cafe, which is really interesting restaurant to choose because it was in a mall. It's in Katie Mills. Um, so you got a lot of kids without their parents. They tip great, as you can imagine. Um, you know, the, the robots go off like every 30 minutes. Um, there's... Um, thunderstorms every 30 minutes. You had to sing happy birthday to everybody that came in. Um, I had to dress up in a safari outfit every, every shift. Those who work with me know I don't, I'm too cool to dress up for things. So um, it was a very interesting experience, but the, um, I remember one night that, <laughs> I remember it very vividly, a man ordered a well-done steak, and it was the last order of the night. And so if you've ever worked at a restaurant, as you know, um, as soon as the last order is done, the kitchen closes. So um, the kitchen manager hands me the steak, and he starts shutting down the kitchen. That kitchen manager was scary, okay? He was a yeller, um, so he would yell. His face would get real red. I'd seen him fire people on the spot. He was a very intimidating man, okay? Well, he, he gives me the last steak, and a steak takes about 18 minutes to cook. Um, so he gives me an, a, a steak that he just finished cooking. I'm walking it out to my last table. I step out of the kitchen, and I'm a little bit distracted talking to someone, and I slip the plate down, and the steak falls on the floor, all right? So I look around, <laughs> and it was a quick decision, right? What am I about to do? No one saw me. So with my hand, I pick up the steak, all right? And I put it back on the plate, and I walked it out to the table. Aren't you glad that I'm your student pastor and not your waiter for, for lunch after service? So, so, I, so I put the steak back on the plate, and I walk it out to the guy. And, and then I felt even more bad because he tipped me really well that night, and I was like, man— I almost wanted to give him the money back, but I remember that, I remember that night, and, you know, there's a, a few reasons I did that, but the real reason is I was scared of, of two people, right? One, I was scared of the customer because I wanted to get tipped, and I didn't want to have to tell him, hey, I know it's already 9 p.m., but you're going to have to wait another 20 minutes for your dinner to come out, right? So I was embarrassed, and I was a little bit nervous to tell him that, and then I was also really scared of the kitchen manager, right? Because the kitchen had already started closing, so he was already telling his cooks to go home. They had already started washing everything. I mean, it was going to be a mess if I went, went back in there and told him, hey, I dropped this steak. And I was really scared of how he was going to respond to me, right? Um, about a year ago, I, I preached on Job, and we talked about how life isn't always fair, and how sometimes things happen to us, and it's not fair to look at God and ask, why are you doing this to me? But sometimes we're in a broken world, and and things aren't always fair. But what we're going to look at this morning, we're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. So you can flip there because we're going to be skipping around the chapter all morning. But in Lamentations chapter 3, you see Israel put themselves in a really bad spot. And they know it's their fault. And they know God is the reason that things are happening to them. And so what I want to look at this morning is what do we do when we put ourselves in a bad spot? And what do we do when we know that something tough or bad is happening and it's our fault? Right? When I dropped that stake, I knew it was all on me. It was no one else's fault. And I had to figure out what I was going to do. And so what do we do when we find ourselves in that situation? Um, a couple good things to know about Lamentations. Um, tradition would say that Jeremiah wrote it. We don't technically know, but a lo- most people think it's Jeremiah. But that's not the most important thing about this morning. The most important thing to know is the situation that Israel finds themselves in when the author 
is writing this book, okay? So think about the people of Israel. They've been made all these great promises by God. They become a great nation. Um, they had all these great kings like David and Solomon. And then years later, they eventually get taken over by Babylon and they get put in exile. And so, so they lose a war and, and are displaced from their land, are suffering. And Lamentations 3 reads like that. I mean, you read the, the passage, and I'm not going to read the whole chapter because it's very long, but I mean, if you, if you read through it later a little bit, it's very dark. I mean, it starts, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. And then the, the passage reads like someone losing a war. But what's interesting about it is the, the person that is inflicting the pain seems to be God. I mean, you read verses 12 and 13, and it says, he drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. Have you ever felt like God is making you a target? It's a hard spot to be in. And this is where Israel finds themselves. And they know that it's because they're being punished for their sins. And so what we're going to look at this morning is what do we do when we find ourselves in that spot? You know, we're getting into a new year and maybe you're realizing, hey, I, I know I've been doing things that, that aren't pleasing to God. I know that I've done things in my life that I'm facing some really hard consequences and it feels like it's my fault. And I want to look at what we can do this morning. The first thing that we need to understand is that sin has real consequences, right? Sin has real consequences. This is very apparent in this whole book, but especially this chapter, is that Israel is facing the consequences of their sin. But what's important to know about that is that consequences are not an emotional response, right? When, when you read this passage, it's kind of intense. Um, you read it in your, you, it's, it's interesting to see God in this picture as someone who is making Israel the target of his bow. I mean, it's, it's very graphic. Like I said, said, it sounds like war and it sounds like fighting. And it can be easy to think God lost his temper on the people of Israel, or God was excited to finally be able to punish them. That's what it reads like at first. But it's, it's important to recognize that sin has consequences, but consequences are not an emotional response. In fact, if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, Moses warns the people of Israel, hey, if we're obedient to God, we're going to be blessed. But if we're disobedient, we're going to be cursed. And if you go back and read that promise in Deuteronomy 28, it's almost verbatim what happens to the people of Israel in Lamentations. He warns them, hey, nation is going to overtake us and we're going to suffer, and our kids are going to suffer, and our land's not going to prosper, and we're going to have to worship other gods, and we're going to feel forgotten, right? These are all told in Deuteronomy chapter 28, and we see it come to fruition in Lamentations chapter 3. And so God's wrath on the people of God, it was a consequence, but it doesn't mean that God just lost his temper or was responding emotionally. Parents, we understand this when we give our kids consequences, right? Kids, when I say there were consequences, you probably can think of what your parents' consequences are, right? If you were to slap your sister on the car ride on the way home, you probably know what your parents are going to do, right? Or if you forget to do your homework or you fail a test at school, you probably already know what your parents are going to do because you understand your consequences. Report cards growing up and in, in, in my school used to not only have your grade, but it was really annoying because next to your grade, they also gave you like behavioral remarks, which are the worst, right? Because I, I would get mostly A's and B's and my parents were happy with that, but they didn't, weren't even worried about that because they knew what my grades would be decent. They would look at the behavior, right? And for some reason, every teacher said I talked excessively. I didn't understand. Um, but I would always get excessively talks in class and, and it really got on my parents' nerves because it would come up over and over again and so the consequence I always knew would be my mom would ask me, who do you sit next to in that class? 
And then they, the follow-up would be, well, you're not allowed to sit with him anymore, right? That was the consequence, and I hated it. And I was always scared of my mom seeing that because I knew what the consequence would be. But did that, my, did that mean that my parents had a temper problem or that they were excited to punish me? Or did it mean that there was a consequence with the hope of correction, right? Consequences are not necessarily an emotional response. And just like any good parent, God is the same way, even in Lamentations chapter 3. As dark as it reads, I want to skip down to verses 31 through 33. It's really interesting. Um, the author says, For no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. Remember, this is coming on the, on the back end of this very dark chapter of it sounding like God is trying to kill the people of Israel. And then you, you move forward and he says, for no one is cast out by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. I like the NLT version. It says that God does not enjoy dealing affliction or pain to his people, right? So like a good parent, it's not that God enjoys seeing the people of Israel in pain. It's not that he's excited to punish them, but it's that they're facing a consequence for something they've done in the hope of correction. But even then, as Israel finds himself in this position, we can still ask the question, well, 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 how can they see God or what can they do in the midst of this? I mean, they've been taken over by Babylon. They've probably lost friends and family. They've lost their homes. They've been displaced. Well, what can they do now? How can they see God? What can they have hope in? Because right now it feels pretty hopeless. And it sounds nice to say, okay, God doesn't like punishing me, but I'm still facing this consequence and it feels a lot like a heavy punishment. So what am I supposed to do? The next thing that gets a little more encouraging, I promise, is that God's mercy never runs out. That God's mercy never runs out. This is going to be the passage that I want to focus on this morning is chapter 3, verses 21 through 23. This is the first positive note in pretty much the whole book. It's, it's been really dark up to this point. And in verse 21, he states, yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. So this is where his hope can be. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's so interesting how in the same breath of saying, I'm the target of God's arrows. And it feels like God is trying to stomp me into the gravel. And then he transitions and says, but I have hope because God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercies never run out. This is really foreign to us because we're used to things in life that run out, right? There's not very many things in life that are unlimited. Even for us as people, our, as parents, our patience runs out, right? As kids with your siblings, your patience runs out. You can only mess up at work so many times. I think about Rainforest Cafe. One of the reasons I was scared, I guess I didn't say this detail earlier, but so if you got three write-ups, you were fired like no matter what. Right? And so dropping that stake, I knew it was going to be right up. Well, I knew eventually my, um, my chances of working there could run out, right? If I got written up enough times. At home with your parents, maybe you know you only have so many strikes, right? We know that our money runs out. Things in life, we're used to them running out. And so the idea of saying that God's mercy never runs out feels very foreign and unnatural to us. We end up asking ourselves, where is the line? How much sin is too much sin? When will God finally be fed up with me? When will he be too annoyed with me? When will he want to give up on me? Because we put our own attributes on him. And we think if I were in God's shoes, I wouldn't like me. I wouldn't love me. I wouldn't want to send my son for him. Um, I would be tired of me by now. There's no way that God's mercy is unlimited. There's no way that it doesn't run out. But this is the promise we see in Lamentations chapter 3. It's a great, great promise. It reminds me of um, 
the way my, my wife parents with, with our son. So we have a three and a half year old um, and we thought two was hard and then he turned three um, and now we're praying for four, but I don't know. Um, he's very sweet and very cute and very funny. But um, one thing we have learned, right, is, is that when things get hard for him, sometimes the day gets harder and harder. And um, it can seem like there's no coming back from it. And so one thing Michaela has learned to do um, is she'll take him out of the room, right? She'll separate him from whatever it is that's frustrating. And I'll hear her tell him, she'll say, hey, let's just have a do-over, right? Let's have a do-over. I need you to chill on whatever it is that you were upset about, but I'm also going to stop being upset with you, right? I'm not going to hold it against you for the rest of the day. We're not going to keep bringing it up. He always asks us, am I in trouble? Because he's like me. He doesn't like feeling in trouble. So he says, am I in trouble? No, you're not in trouble, right? Let's just have a do-over. Let's both move on from this. And this is how I imagine it being when God, when it states that God has mercy that is new every morning. It's a chance for a do-over, right? God's not going to hold yesterday against us anymore, and he's asking us to move forward in faithfulness with him. It's a do-over for us. What's, what's great about the people of Israel, you, you think about the position they're in. They had this great kingdom over King da- under King David and Solomon. They fall into Babylon, but was God still faithful to them? Did they have hope in the future? Think about the way that Christ came into the world was still through the people of Israel. So we even see in the gospel that God essentially gave them a do-over. They weren't faithful. They were disobedient. Um, According to Deuteronomy 28, they were cursed because of what they did. But God still blessed them by bringing Christ through their people and ultimately saving the world through Jesus. So even with Israel, even though it seems like they're facing the heaviest of consequences, God's mercy with them did not run out. He did not grow tired of them. He did not give up on them. And so the good news for us this morning is that it's never too late for a do-over. Maybe you've done something in your life and you're telling yourself, I don't deserve God's help anymore. Maybe you're saying, I put myself here, right? I messed up and I'm the reason things are so broken around me and falling apart. I know I'm going to mess up again. I'm embarrassed to go to God because I know I'm going to fail again. I know my habits. I know who I am. I know what I'm like. Maybe you're embarrassed and ashamed of what you've done, and maybe you're saying, I don't even like myself. Here's probably the most encouraging thing about this whole passage to me is that when it talks about God's mercies being new every morning, notice that the author said nothing about the character of the people of Israel. I mean, go back and read it again, that the... um, that the Lord's great, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. His mercies are new every morning, and great is God's faithfulness. It states nothing about because Israel was lovable, because Israel was owed love, because Israel deserved love, because Israel did something good. It doesn't say anything about that. It says that because God is so great, because he is faithful, because he is full of love, because of who he is, we get mercy. That should be encouraging you to this morning because what that means is that it's not too late for a do-over for you because it has nothing to do with how good you are. That's the good news of the gospel, that God doesn't look at you and say, what have you done to to earn my love? What is your future going to look like so that you're worth saving? God says that because of who he is, because of how great he is, that his love is stronger and his mercy is new every morning for us. So here's what we have to ask ourselves, right? Think back to the question I asked you when I first got up here. If we believed this about God, if we saw God in this way, as the way he's painted in Lamentations chapter three, how would it change our relationship with him and our faith walk? How would it change your faith walk if you saw God 
as a God who is for you with mercy every morning for you that is new. So kids and adults, I want you to think back. And I know we have teachers in the room and you're all great. Um, I, I know a lot of you personally and I know you're great teachers, but I want kids and parents to think back to the meanest teacher you ever had. A teacher that you were scared of, right? We all have one of those. Um, mine was my high school Spanish teacher. Um, I want you to think back to the teacher that you were most scared of, that you felt like they were so mean and they were so harsh and they had it out to get you and you were just always in trouble, right? We've all had one of those. Think about that teacher. Then I want you to think about the teacher that you had, because we've also all had one of these, that you felt like they just wanted you to succeed and they were for you. You knew that they spoke highly of you to your parents and to your other classmates. They encouraged you. They told you good things about yourself. They pointed out how great you were and what you were doing and your growth. When you forgot to do something, they gave you a second chance to do it. They pointed you in the right direction to keep learning. They helped you learn in the best way that you could. They wanted you to succeed. And you felt like truly, hey, this teacher has my back. They are for me. Which one of these teachers were you more inspired to follow? Which one did you have the better relationship with? Which one did you feel like you were more successful with? The truth is the way we see God matters. Because if we see God as someone who is harsh and scary and enjoys punishing us and just can't wait to get us, that's going to affect our walk with him and that's going to affect our faith. But if we recognize that God is for us and that his mercies are new every morning and that he loves us and that he is faithful to us, that's going to affect our walk with him. And knowing that he is a God of do-overs, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how far you feel, it is comforting to know that it's never too late for a do-over for you. And I want to encourage you this morning that just as we read in Lamentations, the encouragement for Israel that they can have hope because God's mercies are new every morning, that that promise is the same for you this morning. Now, if you're like me, you ask a lot of questions and you can be kind of cynical maybe sometimes. And when I hear this, when I think of this image of God, my mind can often go to, okay, but then aren't people going to take advantage of God? Does that mean I can just do whatever I want today because it doesn't matter? Aren't, isn't it scary to tell people in church that or Christians that because then they're just going to go off and do whatever they want this week because they think, hey, next week God's mercy isn't going to run out anyways? Is God soft? Does God not care? Like, what does this mean? So I want to finish with a, a story that I was told in college that radically changed how I saw grace and how I saw mercy, Okay. Um, there was a bridge um, a lot of years ago that was really dangerous that people were trying to walk across and, and there was a, a record number of, of deaths of people falling off this bridge, okay? A really dangerous bridge. And so the, the town was looking for an answer. What do we do about this bridge that is so dangerous but necessary for people to cross? And so the government came in and, and built a net under the bridge. And the people in the town actually got upset because they were like, okay, if you're going to put a net under this bridge, now people are just going to think they can do whatever they want, right? They're going to sprint across the bridge. They're going to be reckless. They're not going to care because there's a net. And so now more people are going to fall off the bridge and then it's going to be a pain to get them off the net. And, and you know, people still might get hurt. And this is a dumb idea, right? We shouldn't put a net under this bridge. But what's interesting in the next year that followed the net being placed is that there was a record low number of people that had fallen off that bridge. Because when people knew that there was a net under them, they walked with confidence, they walked feeling safe, 
and they, and they fell less often. When we know that we are safe and secure in Jesus, and when we know that God's mercy is going to catch us tomorrow, there is a safety and a confidence that we can walk in that is different than thinking, if I fall, I might die. If I fall, this might be the end. If I fall, he might be done with me. There is a, a safety and a comfort that comes in knowing that God is going to catch you tomorrow. And so don't be scared to see God's mercy in your life. Don't be scared to seek it. Don't be scared to know it. Don't be intimidated to see that God is the God of new morning mercies and God is a God of do-overs. That will radically change your walk with him. This next year, I, what I hope for this church, what I hope for all of our faith walks is that we would recognize that God is for us and that God loves us. And that even when we put ourselves in a bad spot, that his mercy is new for us. And so whether you're a mature Christian in here and you're saying, hey, there, I know there are some things I need to grow in, or whether this is your first time ever hearing the gospel of Jesus, the encouragement for you this morning is that no matter where you're at, it's not too late for a do-over. So our, our prayer partners are going to go ahead and come forward. Um, and just in just a minute, we're going to worship together. But I really want you to think about where you're at in your faith and, and how God's mercy being new for you this morning can affect your life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, talk to somebody this morning. It's not too late for you. You're not too far. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to shock us or scare us. And there's nothing you're going to say that's going to shock or scare God because his mercy is new for you. Dear God, thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for um, this example we see in Lamentations, Lord, of, of Israel facing their consequences and suffering, but Lord, in the same breath, being able to say, Lord, that we know that your mercy is new every morning, that we can have hope in you, Lord, and that your love is never going to fail us. Help us remember that. Help us remember that you are good and that you are for us. And thank you for catching us when we fall. We thank you and love you in the name of Jesus. Simon. As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.